And we want to be a church that people can come back to. And if you've never gone to a church, if you don't know what, you know, what to think of the whole Jesus deal, the whole Christian deal, and all of that, you're still trying to sort that out. We're glad that you are here. Uh, if you at one point had a really bad church experience and uh, you left and uh, somebody invited you back, or maybe you had a, a bad experience with someone who called themselves a follower of Jesus and, uh, and, and you just had a bad experience and you're back this morning, we're glad that you're here. Uh, if you walked away from church, maybe as a, as a young adult or, or maybe it was just a point in your life where you walked away, maybe you don't even know why. You just, you just stopped coming. You just stopped going. Uh, you haven't been attending or whatever. Uh, we want to welcome you back uh, as well. The, the baptism that we had in the first service was a young adult, and uh, he shared his testimony of how uh, when he went to university, how his, uh, he, he got involved in a, in a bunch of stuff that really uh, wasn't God's plan for his life. And he came back in, uh, just this past June and uh, was baptized more. It was thrilling uh, to baptize him. Uh, you missed it, anyhow. <laughs> but it was awesome. Just want to let you know. Uh, if you used to come to Moncton Wesleyan, uh, we want to welcome you back. We're glad that you're here this morning. Or maybe you were here at one point for one of our events, maybe for a living Christmas tree uh, or some other event. There's always events going on here at the church. I mean, I pastor this place, and Gala and I will be driving by through, you know, any night of the week, and the parking lot might be full, and she'll say, what's going on at the church tonight? And I'll say, I don't know. I don't have any idea what's going on, you know, because uh, there's so many rentals going on here. If you've ever been here for any reason, but you're back this morning, we're glad that you are here, and we want this to be a church that anyone can come back to. In fact, I was gone for seven years and, and made a comeback. So if, if I can come back, anybody can come back. And uh, we're, we're glad to be here. Most, most of us love comeback stories. That's pretty much the storyline of every great movie that you've ever seen. It, it, there's a comeback uh, story in that, in that movie because we love comebacks. And that's what great movies do is they get us emotionally involved with, with a certain character and then give him or her, give that character some insurmountable odds where we feel like, oh, they're, they're, they're never going to come back from that. They're never going to make it. And, and then we start to, to cheer them on, cheer on the, the, the underdog. And then we watch them make their comeback. And that's pretty much every great movie that you've ever seen because we love comebacks. We love to cheer for the underdog. We love to reward resiliency. Uh, we, we, we admire people who overcome adversity. So if you want to write a blockbuster movie or if you want to write a bestseller book, I'm just telling you how to do it. Write a great comeback story because everyone loves a comeback. Better yet, make it a sports story. Like how many, how many sports comebacks have been turned into movies? Uh, Gayla and I were out with friends a couple of weeks ago, and we went to see yet another sports comeback movie. It was, and, uh, and it was another football. Uh, it seems like, the, like every year there's at least two or three football comeback movies. And the name of the movie was When the Game Stands Tall. And if you haven't seen it before, I'm about to give it away totally. Here, I'm going to ruin it for you. Here it goes. Um, there's a, the football team. And they face adversity, and then they come back and win their final game. That's it. That's shocking. Isn't that shocking? Like, how many football movies can they make about a team 
who faces adversity, and then they make this great comeback, and then they win their final game. How many people would go and see it if they didn't win the final game? Nobody. Okay, one or two. One or two of you are like, yeah, I'd go cheer them on, you know. You know, they tried hard. They don't make movies about teams that try hard, you know, or they, they had fun, you know. Let's go watch a movie about a football team that had fun, right? Nobody's going to go see that movie. Or, or here's a good one. At the very end, you know, everybody just, they just play their best, but they didn't keep score, and everybody got a participant's ribbon. Huh? You're not going to go see that movie. I'm telling you, don't make a movie called The Participant's Ribbon. <laughs> you will lose a lot of money. Nobody wants to see that movie. So, I mean, what's true in life, it's true about me, it's true for you. We all face setbacks. We all have setbacks. That, that's just life. That's the way that it is. But not everyone makes a comeback. We all face setbacks, but not everybody makes a comeback. And in this series... We're going to look at five different people from the Bible who turned their setbacks into comebacks. And here's a hint, little little foreshadow looking ahead for you. On the very last Sunday of the series, we're going to look at the greatest comeback of all time. And no, it's not Rocky. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the greatest comeback in history ever ever, ever. He was dead. He was really dead. He was, he was in the grave for three whole days. And then on that resurrection morning, the stone rolls away. And there's your greatest comeback story of all time. In fact, the Bible, the Bible reads like, like, like one great comeback story after another. And uh, right out of the gate, uh, you know, right first up in the book, God leaves Adam and Eve alone in the garden for like five minutes. This is like, you ever leave your kids alone for like five minutes and they destroy something or they just, you know, right? Everything breaks loose and you're like, How, what? what just happened? I only turned my back for like five minutes and God turns his back on Adam and Eve for like five minutes and they totally mess everything up. And ever since Adam and Eve turned their backs on God, God has been pursuing us, inviting us to come back to him. And so the Bible is really full of incredible comeback stories. But before we get too deep into my message, I mentioned last Sunday, uh, I mentioned that we had a, a few new things coming at you this week. And when I told you last Sunday that we had some new stuff coming at you, it was, it was pandemonium in this auditorium. You jumped out of your seats, you started running in the aisles, and it took us like 20 minutes to settle everybody back down again. It was craziness. No, it was just like this. You just, you're just like, I don't like new stuff. What was wrong with the old stuff? Why do we have to keep changing? Anyhow, and I told you last week that we'd have some new ideas. So did anybody see the new core values up in the, up in the atrium in the lobby? Did you see the core values? And did y'all walk in like this? How did you even get in the auditorium? Okay, time out. We're going to take five minutes. Everybody's going to go out and... No, we're not. No, we're not. But when you leave in the, out in the atrium, look around. There are some bright colored uh, things. <laughs> Wrapping the pillars that are out in the atrium in the six core values of our church that are huge because they create the culture that best helps us accomplish the vision that God has given to us they're out there, they're brand new, and they look fantastic. Um, 
we did a series here last spring called Shift. Does anybody remember the Shift series? And it was the core value series. And in that series, we told you that the core values won't just be verbal. We're going to make them visible. So they'll be memorable. And now they're visible out there in the atrium. So uh, make sure that you have a look at those. So when you go out after church, you've got to do this. You've got you to walk around and, and read them all. And uh, that's exciting. Uh, this thing behind me is new, uh, the new TV. And it's, it's on wheels. And I'm on my training wheels preaching with the TV, and it just, you're going to see this, uh, it's going to do its thing here. It's really a transformer, and it's going to start breakdancing. No, I made that up. Uh, but it's a TV, and we're going to start using that. That's, that's new. Uh, I also announced last Sunday that I'd be sharing our next big vision step that God is calling to us to as a church. Does anybody want to hear that? Anybody interested? In the, all right. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Now, I got to bring you up to speed because, you know, many people are, are, are new to Moncton Weston. So just a little bit of quick background. A couple of years ago, um, God gave us a specific vision. It was, it was around Christmas time when I really felt that God speak to me clearly that we as a church needed to share the, the message of Easter, the message of the resurrection with at least 4,000 people over Easter. And I don't think we'd ever seen 4,000 people over Easter before. And so we, we, we did our best, and uh, we had 5,100 people uh, come out that Easter weekend. So that was crazy. Then the next one, I think, was even crazier than that. And I still can't even, when I say it out loud, it sounds funny in my head. I still can't believe that, that this happened. But, but the next one was God said, I want you to baptize 100 people in one day. And we had never as a church baptized 100 people in a year before. And so I had to come out here with my knees knocking and say, I don't know how this is going to happen. I just got to tell you what God's telling me. And uh, on Father's Day, like a year and a few months ago, last year, um, or was it two years ago? Was it last year? We baptized 101 people. So that was very exciting, very cool. So this is the next one. Here we are. Okay, this series is going to be five weeks long. It's going to end on October the 5th. And I know that we just went back to two services today. But since you are the most flexible congregation on the planet, blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be bent out of shape. And you can, you people are so flexible that you can roll with anything on October the 5th. We're going to have one service on that day. Go ahead and groan. Just go groan. To, oh, just get back to two and they're taking me back to one. And I don't know how I'm ever going to do this. You can do this. Okay, you're smart. And we're going to have one service on October the 5th. And we're going to have a whole bunch of like fun carnival type stuff going on for kids and all that. And we're in our God-given vision that we all need to own for Sunday, October the 5th, is we are going to fill every single seat in this auditorium for Jesus Christ on that day. All right? Every seat. All of them, including the balcony, there are 1,870 of them. I counted this morning. No, I didn't. It's, we just know that. There's 1,870 seats in here. We're going to fill every single one of them, plus the, the kids that will be, uh, be here running around. And, and to remind you of why we, this is important, 
We want to put seats on seats so we can put more souls in heaven. Everybody, every number has a name, every name has a story, and every story matters to God. And I believe that this facility, that God has given us this facility for revival and not just for rentals. Okay? That, that was a good place for someone to just jump up out of their seat and do a lap around the auditorium. And I said that in the first service, and Shirley Irving jumped to her feet and did a lap around the auditorium while everybody cheered and said, go Shirley. So, uh, no takers. All right, okay. Well, just so you know, in first service, somebody got excited about this place being used for revival and not just for rentals. Nothing against rentals. Fill the place every night of the week. I don't care. But I want to see this place filled for Jesus Christ on Sunday mornings and, and, and on and on. Okay. So this series, now you know where we're going. It's going, to, it's going to swell like a tidal wave leading up to October the 5th. And then it's going, to be, it's going to be wild and a lot of fun. And every single seat is going to be filled in this place. Okay, here we go. One of the first great comebacks of the Bible is really one of the most remarkable comebacks in the Bible. This guy was a comeback artist. He got knocked down, but he got up again. Ain't nothing going to keep him down, right? This guy here. He's like Rocky. He just keeps swinging and fighting, and he won't give up. And just when you think they've got him down for good, he'll never recover from that. He makes a comeback again. And we're going to look at Joseph and how Joseph turned his setbacks into comebacks. And the Bible gives us a ton of detail about about Joseph. It's a fascinating story. It begins in Genesis chapter 37, goes to chapter 50. It's like 14 chapters on uh, Joseph's story. And there's no way that I can totally unpack it all and and everybody still have lunch. That's not going to happen. But what I'm going to do is I I really, I need to give context. So I am going to run through the story of Joseph kind of kind of quickly and set it up and then we'll jump into the part where he has what I think is is his greatest comeback. Here we go. At age 17, Joseph starts having these dreams and it sounds like God is going to put him in some sort of position of, of power and his brothers are going to have to bow down to him. Now, I was the baby of the family. Any babies here this morning? And I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, I, I think I had that dream. I think I had a dream about my siblings bowing down to me, I think that's probably every younger brother's dream. Like, just you wait. Like, what? <laughs> just you wait. Like, one day uh, we're going we're gonna to turn this around. And just a, a little word of wisdom here. If, if God gives you a dream about your siblings bowing down to you, don't tell them. It will not go well. Don't tell them. And his brothers already hated him because he was his father's favorite. And his father, Jacob, gave him a special robe. And every time that his brothers saw him walking around in his fancy schmancy robe, they they hated him even more. And now he's telling them that that they're going to bow down to him someday. And they just keep feeling with hatred. And and then one day they snap and they, they throw him in an empty well. They rip off his fancy schmancy robe. They dip the robe in animal's blood. They take the robe back to their father and say, look, he's been eaten by a wild animal. They sell him off into slavery. That's a bad day. That's a setback right there. That's a setback. And a lot of people wouldn't bounce back after a setback like that. A lot of us wouldn't bounce back. 
Now, we know that, that Joseph was, 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 was a, a rugged, handsome, healthy, good-looking young man, kind of like Mike Tapper. And, and he gets bought off the block, you know, because he, he looks good and he looks fairly strong. He gets sold into slavery and bought off the block by Pharaoh's captain, a guy by the name of Potiphar. And Genesis chapter 39, verse 5 tells us that Joseph works so hard for Potiphar that he succeeds at everything that he touches. And Potiphar notices this and just keeps giving him more and more responsibility. So think about this. Joseph, thrown into a pit by his brothers, sold into slavery, hauled off to a foreign land, and, and yet he, he manages somehow to come out of that negative experience and serves Potiphar in such a way that, that, that Potiphar recognizes, wow, like this is incredible, and keeps giving him more and more responsibility. This tells us that Joseph had a pit stop, but he didn't let the pits stop him. And you might have a pit stop along the way. You might be in one right now. You might have had one last week. You might be headed for one this week. I don't know. But when life gives you a pit stop, the key is to not let the pits stop you and to keep going. Even being sold out by his family, hauled off to a foreign land, he kept a positive attitude. Here's another truth from from the life of Joseph. Your attitude in the pit will determine your altitude out of the pit. Your attitude while you're in the pit, not the, you know, not that. Your attitude in the pit will determine your altitude when you come out of the pit. Or let's look at it this way, whether or not you get bitter or whether you get better is up to you. That's the choice that you have to make. I'm in a pit. I don't want to be in this pit. Why am I in this pit? Well, you have a choice to make while, while life is dealing you uh, a pit. You have a choice to make. Am I going to get bitter while I'm in the pit? Or am I going to get better while I'm in the pit? And we know from how Joseph responded with Potiphar that his choice was to get better while he was in the pit. You can't make a comeback if you give up. That makes sense, Right? So it's simple, but it's true. You can't make a comeback if you give up. You can't make a comeback if you turn into a pit person and you focus on the pit and all the people who pushed you into the pit and how it's not your fault and, and why do all the bad things happen to me. And pit people don't make comebacks. They just sit in their pit and I'm really watching my enunciation. They just sit in their pit, have another drink of water, and they whine and they complain and they, as someone mentioned to me between services, they're pitiful and they bring other people down into their pits with them. But Joseph was different. Joseph obviously believed that the pit was not his final destination. Slavery wasn't his final destination. God had given him a dream. And he was going to give God his best even when it didn't make sense. If God gives you a dream, give God your best and leave the results in God's hands. If God gives you a dream, then you give God your best and leave the results in his hands. When we go back to two services, 
And I have to preach two services in a row. My throat gets very dry. Okay. Hopefully the sermon's not dry. So things were going good. And Potiphar's wife started thinking that Joseph was looking good. And that's never good. That's never good. Now, Potiphar, you need to know, was married to Hotiphar. And Hotiphar was the biggest challenge that Joseph had ever faced. Think about it. He's a young man, unmarried, in a foreign land where nobody knows him. And he has Hotiphar literally throwing herself at him. She's saying, come on, come on, sleep with me, come on. Literally, that's what the scripture says. She's chasing him. And Joseph literally runs, he flees. He just just runs. He bolts right out the door. If temptation doesn't remove itself from you, then you remove yourself from the temptation. I'm out of here. I'm gone. And just, you run, you flee. You get a, yourself as far away from that as you can. And so Joseph takes off, you know, Taryn, and she's mad. Hotifer's mad. She's snorting mad. She's snotifer. She's she is she is one <laughs> she is one angry woman. And so she screams and she makes up a lie, and Joseph gets thrown into prison. And now we pick it up in Genesis chapter 41. So we just did. Genesis 37, 38, 39, 40. Now we're up to 41, okay? And in Genesis chapter 41, Pharaoh starts having weird late night pizza dreams. Right? You know what I mean? And he starts having these dreams. And he, he hears that, that that Joseph guy in prison has been interpreting dreams. And so he calls for Joseph. And when Joseph gets his chance to come out of another pit, another prison. When Joseph gets his chance and he's called in before Pharaoh and Pharaoh says to him, I understand that you can interpret dreams. And the first thing that Joseph says, you know, it's not why I ought to and she never and yeah, none of that. And Joseph says to Pharaoh, he, he says, I can't. And I'm thinking, no, 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 no. Like, he's going to put you back in prison. That is not what you want to say. Don't tell him that you can't. And Joseph says, Pharaoh says, I understand that you can interpret dreams. And, and Joseph says, I can't. But God can. And he points to his God. I, that's good for all of us to remember, I, I can't. There's a lot of times in, in, in life when I can't, but God can. There's a lot of things in life that I can't. But God can. There's a lot of uh, people in life. You think, ooh, I, I, I can't. But God can. And this is what Joseph does. Which tells us that Joseph wasn't mad at God. He hadn't given up on God. He didn't lose faith in God. He wasn't blaming God. And when he got his, got his chance to make a comeback, he was quick to point to his God as the source of everything good in his life. Okay, here we go. Joseph, or Genesis chapter 41. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 37. Let's read a few verses here. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man, so obviously filled with the spirit of God? 
Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is, is as intelligent or wise as you are. You'll be in charge of my court and all of my people will take orders from you. And only I sitting on my throne will have a higher rank than yours. In other words, Joseph just blows right by Potiphar. See you later. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. And then he had Joseph ride in the Pharaoh mobile reserved for his second in command. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. Back to verse 37. Joseph's suggestions were well received. They were well received. Why? Why, after spending two years or more in prison, why, why would Pharaoh uh, receive this word from Joseph so well? Two years earlier, Pharaoh and Potiphar had tossed Joseph in prison, either because they believed that Joseph was messing with Potiphar, or they didn't believe her but didn't know what to do with him, and they just said, prison, off you go. Either way. And then they apparently forget that he's even in there. And now they pull him out of this pit, give the boy a shower and a shave, and just like that, his insight is well-received. Why would they listen to Joseph? Anybody could have made up that story. Anybody could have interpreted, you know, made up some kind of interpretation. In fact, I'm kind of surprised that, like, Pharaoh had, he had, he had magician-type people. He had uh, wise guys around that were supposed to figure these things out. And I'm surprised that none of them gave him a decent explanation. I'm thinking, if my choices are interpret your dream or be put to death because I'm useless and you're tired of feeding me. I'm, I'm going to give you a pretty good, you know, I'm going to come up with something for your dream. And uh, nobody did. So why Joseph? What's the difference? The difference in Joseph's life is the same difference that can take you from a setback to a comeback. Watch it. Here it is. It's in verse 38. The difference is in verse 38. Can we find anyone else like this man? Here it is so obviously filled with the Spirit of God. That's the difference. That's the difference in Joseph. That can be the difference in your life. That can make all the difference. Where Pharaoh says, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? God's presence in Joseph gave him favor in Pharaoh's presence. God in you and with you will prepare you and sustain you for anything you are going through. Let me say that again. God's presence in you and with you will prepare you and sustain you for anything that, that you will ever go through. Joseph found favor in Pharaoh's presence because Pharaoh found Joseph had been in God's presence. It's God's presence inside of you, inside of us, that makes the difference. Pits and prisons they don't have to be places of punishment if God is with us. Pits and prisons can be places where God prepares us for our next assignment. And Joseph doesn't just, 
He doesn't just, you know, drag his, his sorry body out of a pit. You know, he doesn't just, he doesn't just uh, crawl out of the pit. He doesn't just, you know, kind of mope himself out of prison, feeling bad for himself. I mean, Joseph, because of his attitude in the pit, determines your altitude out of the pit. When they come and knock on that prison door and call his name, he is ready. And that boy comes out of there, somebody get me a shower. Somebody get me, uh, get this beard off my face. This is my opportunity. God has heard my prayer. God has not forgotten me. My dream is still alive. God is going to give me wisdom to interpret this dream. God is going to give me favor. God is going to use my story to point others to the one true living God. Man might have pushed me into a pit, but God pulled me out of that pit. God has given me opportunity, accusations, and attack, threw me in prison. But God was preparing me for greater things. My friends forgot about me, but God never forgets his children. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. God never forgets his children. I was knocked down, but I wasn't knocked out. And Joseph points his finger up to the sky and he says to Pharaoh, I can't, but God can. And he gives God the glory. God can rescue. God can redeem. God can restore any situation. And it doesn't matter how long you've been in your pit or your prison. God can show up today. He can speak a word of freedom into your life and he can turn your setback into a comeback. God can do it. God can do it. This is, this is staggering when you think about it. Even Pharaoh, a pagan ruler who believed in many gods. Now think about this. Pharaoh, Pharaoh's got, you know, gods everywhere. You just keep making them. Every time they thought of something they didn't have a god for, then they made a, a god for that. And then they usually kept around one that was called the unknown god, just in case something arose where, well, we don't have a God for that. Oh, wait, we got the unknown God. And they would go and get that one. This is staggering for this, this pagan Pharaoh who believed in many gods. And he looks at Joseph and he says, there's something different in your life. There's something special about you. And he recognizes that Joseph's God is a personal God, that Joseph's God is a, is a real living God. Joseph has a God that somehow, somehow this God is, is inside, like the presence of that God is living inside of Joseph. It's not a distant God. It's not a wooden God on a shelf. It's not a metal God or, or a God made out of stone or anything else. And he, he sees that Joseph's God is, is personal. And can live inside of you. That same God, Joseph's God, is here today. You need, we need, I need, we all need the spirit of the living God living inside of us. Inside of you. Active. uh, Leading you. Guiding you. uh, Giving you direction. Teaching you. So that others can see. Others need to see the spirit of the living God in side of you. And if, if, you, if life has you in a pit 
Or if you get pushed into some kind of a pit or a prison or something negative this week, will the people around you, will they see the spirit of the living God inside of you? Will they say to you, like Pharaoh said to Joseph, there's something different about you. I can see it. You've got the the very presence of God living inside of you. Others need to see that you are obviously filled. I love the way that the scripture writes that. A Pharaoh looks at Joseph and he says, wow, you are obviously filled. And others need to see that in us, that we're obviously filled with the spirit of God. The world is desperate for it. The world is desperate for grace, truth, and the presence and the message of Jesus Christ. We're going to close this up this morning with, with, with a word of prayer. I'm going to lead us in, in, in prayer. And then the band's going to come out and lead us in a song. And I'll come back out after the band and just kind of wrap everything up. And I was thinking about how to close this first comeback. And I thought, you know, there's probably a lot of people here this morning who need to make a comeback from their setback. And, and just to pray that way, uh, in general, because uh, you know exactly what it is in, in your life. Uh, you know what your setback is. You know what, you, what the cry of your heart is, that you, you're praying that, that God would answer that, that prayer this morning. And I guess my prayer as, as pastor of our church is that God would give you the courage to face those things. And regardless of how long it seems like you're stuck in that pit, that you'll choose not to get bitter. You'll choose to get better. And, and, and believing that someday God's going to bring you out of this pit and others are going to see God's presence in you. So I'm going to pray that way first. Second way I'm going to pray, so I'm going to follow that up with, with a prayer for anyone here this morning who realizes that what they really need to do today is come back to God as his child come back and, and have a relationship with, with, with Christ, a relationship with Jesus. And, and maybe you've been, I, don't know, I mean, we could just speculate all day about, uh, you know, maybe you've been running from God. Maybe you just haven't had an opportunity like this, whatever, whatever it is. But you realize right now that you've not had a relationship with God, that this is your opportunity to trust him and uh, follow him with the rest of your life. So let's pray together. Lord, this morning, as we sit here surrendered in your presence, God, you see each heart. You know exactly, Lord, this morning what each person is dealing with. And there might be some here this morning, Lord, that have been uh, really uh, maybe wrestling with, with staying positive. Maybe the pit or the prison has just been hard and long, and, and maybe they're, they're tired of... of, of uh, whatever that is, Lord, that they've been struggling with. And, and Lord, their, their, their prayer this morning is, Jesus, would you help me not to become bitter? Would you help me to become better? Would you strengthen me? Would you encourage me? Would you turn my setback into a comeback? It might be physical. could be health. could be relationship. could be finance. It could be a lot of, it could be spiritual. It could be a lot of different things. 
God, I know that there are people all over this auditorium who are praying a prayer like that right now, saying, God, would you, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me uh, turn my setback into a comeback. Help me with that, I pray. And Lord, for others who might be here this morning realizing that they don't really have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And they're realizing right now that the comeback that they need to make is, is the most important one. It's the comeback of their life. Simply coming to you and saying, Jesus, I believe you are God's son. And right now in this moment, I pray along with Pastor Tim, I, I pray right now, Jesus, that you would come into my life, that you would restore this broken relationship with you, that you would forgive me of anything I've ever done wrong, that you would make me your child. Jesus, I'm saying right now in this moment that I believe you're God's son. You came to this earth and died on a cross for my sin and you were resurrected. And I believe someday that I'll be resurrected to be with you in eternity. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into my life right now and uh, making me your child. And I will live for you and I will serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.